Modern writing is very different from sitting in a reclusive cabin in the woods, secretly toiling away for years to write the next bestseller. Modern writers write in public, in front of and with their eager readers. My guest today, Dickie Bush, has helped thousands of people start writing online. And he does this with such kindness and a love for teaching that I just had to talk to him about all things writing. We'll dive into Ship 30 for 30, building a media business, and why his mom has been such a wonderful and pivotal figure on his professional journey. This episode is sponsored by Acquire.com. More on that later. Now here is Dickie. Hey, Dickie, thanks so much for being on the show today. Um, you've taken one of the most solitary acts that's writing and you've turned it into a team sport with Ship 3430. Where did that idea come from? Man, so we're right on the three-year anniversary. We're coming up probably a week away from the original tweet that started the entire Ship 3430 journey. So excited to dig into that, but first just want to thank you for having me. I was sharing before this that I think that your positivity and energy that you bring to the X Twitter timeline is something that the world needs a lot more of. So I just wanted to make sure that we shared that because <laughs> I've, I've been listening to this podcast, you hear your voice and just the way you bring founders on and talk to them. And it's so positive sum what you do across the board. So just wanted to make a point on that before we dive into all the stuff that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So anyway, on the ship 30 side, we're about three years since that original tweet where Backing up before Ship 30 started, I was working a full-time job on Wall Street as a hedge fund trader, graduated college, immediately started working. It's the only full-time job I ever had. I quickly saw the writing on the wall about nine months into that job that I did not want to be commuting to the subway at 6 a.m., sitting under fluorescent lights for 14 hours a day, leaving when the sun was down and repeating that every day and hoping that one day I maybe made enough money to be happy. I saw that writing on the wall and said, okay, I'm not going to quit immediately. I'm going to start writing on the internet. This was January of 2020. And for the first nine months, I followed that conventional path that I think a lot of people fall into when they start writing, which is start a blog, write on that blog, hope that readers find you someday. If your writing is good enough, people will find you, et cetera, et cetera. And nine months in, I had 150 newsletter subscribers, maybe 200 Twitter followers, and was like, this is not what I was hoping. I'm still working this corporate job. I have no potential new opportunity because of this. So I was ready to give up entirely on it. But rather than stop, I said, I'm going to give this one more shot. But instead of writing on a blog, I'm going to write a daily Twitter thread every single day for 30 days. And instead of publishing like on a blog, I'm going to put it out in social where other people might be able to find it. I wrote for 27 days. And on the 28th day, I hit publish on a Twitter thread that got zero likes, zero comments, and zero retweets. So I said, well, here I am back stuck again at square one. Looks like this challenge failed. And I'm probably done with this writing on the internet thing. I'm going to go explore some other opportunities. But I wasn't one to quit. So day 29, I ended up hitting publish on something that I didn't think was going to go anywhere, only for the sake of getting to my last 30 days. Hit publish, turned my computer off, went to bed, woke up the next day. It went viral. Naval had retweeted it. Balaji had retweeted it. A bunch of people that I really looked up to had four or 5,000 likes. I went from 200 followers to 1,000 overnight. I like to say it took nine months to get to 200 followers and 12 hours to get to 1,000. And everything compounded from there. So I tell that full story because you mentioned that it was a very solitude, solitude activity, writing. And that exactly is how I felt on that 30-day challenge. It was very lonely. I'd started to meet some other people, but realized, okay, if I want to continue doing this, 
I'm going to need a community of accountability and support to keep me going. So I tweeted out after that 30-day challenge and said, who would be interested in an accountability group where everyone writes and publishes an atomic essay every day for 30 days? And I retweet that tweet all the time. I comment about it because it's all chronicled on the timeline of when it started. And that was the original vision for it was just getting people together because writing online typically is pretty boring and lonely if you don't have other people doing it with you. So that was the origin. And the last three years has been kind of a wild journey of trying to get as many people as possible to recognize all the upside that I unlocked from my personal 30-day journey and getting them to experience the same thing. Yeah. Oh, I bet that. That must have that must have been quite the quite the day when when you got that viral moment and that kickstarted all of this this community building and teaching that you've been doing until now. That is so cool. I was there too. I was I was there watching it. I remember this. I remember like the the early days and when Ship Thirty happened. I was like, what, what's going on here? Like somebody is, is actually trying to turn this into something that is not not just for him, but for mm-hmm. others. Like mm-hmm. from teaching others. I do wonder, like how did how did the first cohort when you started out when you just <laughs> experimented? How did how does it differ to what you're doing now? Oh, it's night and day different. So the very first one, it's so fun because so much of the story comes from that first cohort where. I tweeted out this type form and said, who'd be interested? And I had like three or 400 responses to that. And I was only, I only had a couple hundred Twitter followers at the time. So I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, because like other people picked up on it and there was clearly a need here. So rather than let everyone in, I said, okay, we need some kind of buffer in some way to make a little bit of accountability. But at the time, I had never made a single dollar writing on the internet. I was terrified to charge anything because I didn't think I had any kind of credibility. So to create that little bit of friction, I said, okay, to join it's $50 and I'll give you your money back if you write every day for 30 days. So everyone who came in put $50 into a PayPal pot and I said, I'll donate the rest, whatever we end up. Cause I was like so terrified to charge money for this thing. Right. And I'm like managing a spreadsheet during the cohort, like who's written every day and people at the end are like, I wrote every day. Can I have my money back and all this? And I'm managing it. And really that original cohort was just a accountability group. I didn't have any credibility to teach writing. I did one thing. Well, Mm -hmm. I could build a daily writing habit. And all I did was prove that I could had done that for the 30 days prior. Now how things are different now is after that cohort, which was November of 2020, I met Nicholas Cole and he had written at the time, the art and business of online writing. And I was still working for BlackRock. I partnered with him in January of 2021 to basically take his education and his way much richer, denser experience running on the internet than I had, package it into a 30-day curriculum, and then deliver that as part of Ship 30. So the last three years has been, it's a community-powered course, is how we say it, cohort-based course, community-powered course, where we teach the fundamentals of digital writing based on his book. And you have the accountability of hundreds of other people who actually are writing with you. And you have the structured output goal of writing every single day. So the original cohort was us spamming essays in a Slack channel with no structure. And it was $50 and you got your money back. And today it's you know 500 to 1,000 people join every single cohort. We've helped almost 10,000 people start since then. So it's been quite a journey since that yeah. <laughs> original managing of a spreadsheet journey. 
That is so cool. It's it's a it's an amazing story, obviously, like as a, as a narrative of how something that just started out with you figuring out, oh yeah, there might be some people out there, and then it turned into this this community driven thing, which I love. It's such a nice thing. As a writer myself, like I feel like the the best feedback comes just from writing and, and getting people reading it and telling you what they think. And if that happens in an organized structure, which a community is and a cohort is, that just makes you so much less afraid to write, right? Like, I, I wonder what, what are the, the common things, or may, maybe not even the common things, what are the uncommon things that keep people from writing? Because accountability happens when you already start writing, right? But what keeps people from writing to, to yeah, begin with? One of the beautiful things of Ship 30 is you and it goes with the name of this podcast, we kind of bootstrap your initial audience right. where you have other people in the community, not necessarily that are going to be that interested in your writing, but you're going to find one or two or three people who do really want to read whatever it is you're writing about. And that <clears throat> people overestimate how many people they need to read their writing to go and iterate and improve on it. Where in the beginning, one of the things that holds them back is they think they need this massive audience if they're going to do anything. So the, they say, you know, I have all these great ideas, but I'm actually not going to publish them until I have more followers because then I'll unveil my good stuff. And what happens is they, they don't write any of their good stuff, which means the handful of people that do see what they have to say aren't impressed. So they never get to start spinning that feedback loop where instead we say, look, you only need two or three people because imagine you are in a coffee shop and you started to read your writing aloud and two people next to you were like, hey, I'm really interested in this. Could you tell me more? And you go, no, 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 I don't want to hear your opinion. I need like thousands of people if I'm going to go publish any of this. It's like, no, you would just have that conversation with those one or two people and you'd be over the moon excited that they had anything that they were interested in any way in what you had to say. And that's kind of what we emphasize with writing is you don't need a big audience to start. You just need one or two people who are going to say, hey, could you talk a little bit more about that? And then you talk about that thing the next day. And then they read that and you talk about their next questions, the next questions. And before you know it, the scale of the internet guarantees that if one or two people are interested in your writing, the algorithms are gonna work overtime to take what you have to say and show it to as many of those people as possible. And so that's what you get to tap into. Oh, that's a very interesting observation. Like the the, the seed audience doesn't need to be massive. It's, it's, it's kind of. It, I hope. I hope that's still true in a couple months on Twitter because the algorithm seems to be a bit problematic in in terms of discovery from many things. Right? Is that is that something that uh, it should impact your writing? Like writing for discoverability, not just by people, but also by the algorithms that amplify our the things that we have to say. Well, yes, because the algorithms aren't going anywhere which means you do have to figure out how to put things in a packaged way that the reader is interested in. Where people go wrong with algorithms is they blame them for something. It's like, oh, the algorithm is blank. The algorithm is the same for everyone, which means every, and I kind of internalize this idea as one of my core beliefs, but anything that every circumstance I come across is an opportunity, which means if the algorithm's the same for everyone else, I'm going to look at it and say, well, what's working about it? That doesn't necessarily mean you become a slave to the algorithm where you only end up publishing like Google Chrome hacks that go viral. But you do have to understand that we live in an algorithmic feed age, which means there's far less, and this is something we've been learning, right? So a lot of people might end up in my situation with 
a couple hundred thousand Twitter followers and say, oh, I've done all this work and now the algorithm's changed and I'm screwed and uh, you know, I'm gonna go complain about it. Whereas I said, oh, great, I've been writing for the last three years and it sounds like and feels like my interpretation of the algorithm change is that your level of followers matters far less than it ever has. And they're following more of a TikTok style algorithm where you never know where your writing is going to go, which means every single piece of writing has far more upside than it ever has because you never you don't know what's going to happen to it. What's the solution there? Publish more pieces of writing to unlock that upside. Yeah. So I, I went on a podcast like two months ago and someone said, how are you reacting to this algorithm change? I'm like, I'm just going to post way more. Right. Like that's the solution because what is that going to do? It's going to give me more data. It's going to give me more information on what's working. And I've had more success over the last couple of months on Twitter because of that. Whereas other people I heard complaining and they're like, oh, you can't do X, Y, Z. It's nope. That's an advantage for me. I'm going to go publish more and I'm going to figure out what's working because of that. Yeah, and that's that's the big difference, right? Like figuring out how new things work in a new way. Like you you need to kind of fall on your face a couple of times. And I think you have this this concept of micro failures. That's what you call mm -hmm. it, right? The the idea. Well, do explain it. I guess that this is probably a good opportunity to just introduce that idea, right? I love Twitter as an idea refinery, which means the second I come up with something that I might find interesting or I want to explore more, I put it in a note and every Sunday for the last three years, I've sat down and cleared that note into individual tweets. It's like my favorite part of the week because I end up with eight or nine ideas. Like I'll re-listen to our podcast interview and pick up on one or two things that you say that I want to go deeper on. And I've been testing ideas for the last three years on my Twitter account. Some of those have gone viral. Some of those were not my best writing and they went nowhere. And because of that, I now have pretty good idea of what people are interested in, what I like to talk about. All the while, all these proven data points from my old writing are compounding for me that I can then repurpose. But then I also have all the new ideas that I'm putting out that, hey, I didn't know that if I talked about this topic, people are actually really interested. Cool, I'll go double down on it. So rather than 500 years ago, if you were, I don't know how long ago, but if you wanted to publish a book, you had to go write the full thing and slave away in a cabin in the woods for multiple years and hope that you emerged with a bestseller. And if you didn't, too bad, you wasted 10 years of your life. Now you have an idea, you can tweet it out into an algorithm that's going to show it to a lot of interested people and they're going to give you that instant feedback. So that's kind of the digital writing versus legacy writing approach that we talk about in Ship 30, which is you now have access to rapid fire feedback loops for all of your ideas such that you have no excuse now to invest a lot of time writing something that the market has not already validated that they're interested in. You look at a lot of the successful writers right now, like Morgan Housel, Shane Parrish, uh, Polina Marinova, a lot of these writers who are coming out with a lot of successful books have proven these ideas on their Twitter account for years. Yep. And of course, people are going to buy it because they built up credibility and they validated those ideas over the last decade. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a genius idea. <laughs> and that's a concept, I guess, what, what you've also been doing and I think I've been doing with like building in public, like the idea of sharing things, everything in public and seeing where resonance happens, right? Because resonance is the validation that you're talking about. Exactly. We talk about there's two types of content. There's reach content and resonance content. Reach content is the nine books that will blow your mind about X thing where those go viral and it actually doesn't matter who writes it because you actually, you don't even look at who wrote it. You just look at the content. 
And so there's no resonance with the writer versus when you write a story and share some lessons or you build in public and share your journey so far, the reader gets to the bottom of that and goes, wow, that was actually, that was a valuable writing and I'm glad I read it. But now I feel more affinity towards this person. And that is what you're going for with testing ideas as well, is you want to figure out what ideas can I share that if I can sprinkle on my personal story, people are going to then say, I just like reading you not only for your ideas, but because I like following along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the longest time, I've had a lot of trouble with the, the concept and the, the validity, I guess, of this reach content that you talk about. Because mm. to, to me, I, I had this this mental limitation. So let's, let's call it a self-imposed limitation here that all content aimed at reaching more people that is kind of supposed to go viral is bad content. I was like really, and even like until a couple months ago against like this kind of virality seeking, because it feels to me often that the, the concepts and the, the formulas you, you apply for that to, or to that kind of content to make it have reach harms often or can harm your existing audience that is already there. Cause like I, what I thought was, well, if you if I write to get new people interested in me, it kind of doesn't serve the other people that are already there, right? Whereas if I write for the people that are already there, it might also attract new people. How can how can you help me overcome this limitation? Because I know that writing stuff to attract more people is good because mm-hmm. it will attract more people to the things I have to say. I'll give you two frameworks that I think about a lot for this type of content. First is my general content raiser right now which is how I decide whether or not I publish something is I want to create content that only I can create that I also would enjoy to consume. Now, that might mean there are some pieces I put out that are more on the reach side that I then have to figure out, well, how can I make this valuable? Do I care about seven Google Chrome extensions that will 10x my productivity? No, so I'm not going to publish those. But will I potentially look at like I published something today about Gary Halbert's writing tips, and it was something I've proven in the past that has gone viral and people enjoyed. I make sure to put my own personal spin on it of my interpretation and how I'm using his principles so it's only content that I could create. And I make sure before I hit publish on anything, would my former self have found this valuable? Then you can dial up the size of the question. So we talk about the size of the question dictates the size of the audience. So something like how to be happier, how to make more money is going to be a lot bigger than how to grow your niche podcast from 2K to 10K downloads, right? Right. So if you look at potential things that you could share that would widen your top of funnel is really the right word for it, of people just to find you and then keep your resonance content of like sharing the more actionable stuff that you're working on on a daily basis. The hard part to get over and I still struggle with this, is I think we overestimate how much of our content all of our followers see. Right. So when you say something like, I don't necessarily want to publish this because it's so top of funnel that my readers who are already reading me aren't going to get more value out of it. I think we sit there and think we're kind of the center of the universe. And it's like every single thing I publish. And my fun story about this is, when I wrote my newsletter for those first like 35, 40 weeks, I had like a couple hundred subscribers. And I remember going out of my way multiple times, like heavily inconveniencing myself to <laughs> publish on a Sunday because I wanted to keep my streak. And I just Aww. felt like there's these two, 300 people and they're going to, if I don't publish, like, oh no, they're they're never going to read me again. And they're like waiting, refreshing their browsers at like <laughs> 10 a.m. waiting for me. And so 
one Sunday, I could not get back to my computer and I didn't publish it. And I was like, oh no, like it's over. I'm gonna have 50 emails in my inbox being like, I can't believe that I've been reading you for all this time. You didn't publish. And I, I finally got back to my computer on Monday and I opened up my email and there were zero people who messaged me like, hey, where's the newsletter? And I, I remember that all the time because I think we overestimate our relative importance. Yes. And most people have so much going on. They're way too busy thinking about themselves to be like, oh, he's writing in a different way and I'm not finding, you know, I think that'd be my like small, oh, tough love piece of advice because I feel that all the time still. Yeah. Uh, to oh, this bet, day. Oh, oh, me too. I, I actually had that last week as well. Similarly, I, I integrated, I think that the ConvertKit sponsor network into my newsletter because I, I started working with them for, you know, ad, ads and, and sponsorship uh-huh. in the newsletter itself. And I was so afraid to send out that email with the, the first kind of programmatically generated ads because I never had that in there. I always just had like sponsors that reached out to me. I helped them with copy, put it in. But now it's just a little fragment and they insert ads that fit the person that the newsletter goes out to. And I was like, I'm probably going to get like, I have 20,000 subscribers on the newsletter now. I'm probably going to get 10,000 emails about right. people complaining and and massive unsubscribes because people don't want ads or whatever. Zero. Like zero. zero people. Isn't it crazy <laughs> how we can build up these stories in our head and, yeah. and and they just have zero evidence to back them but can dictate so many of our actions. I yeah. think about that all the time. It's it's not an easy problem to solve, but at least you, we can start to inch closer from a self-awareness perspective yeah, when those sure. biases start to present themselves. I think having a conversation like this where two people who do this regularly <laughs> yeah. still share this, it's like imposter syndrome, which we all have in, in many different ways and different Definitely. Uh, intensities. I think that's important. And I think it, it's also, and it's kind of what I try to hint at with the whole solitude, solitary thing of writing, mm-hmm. the creator life is a fairly kind of encapsulated, isolated life, right? A lot of the things we do happen in here and they barely yeah. leave our head before we turn it into the shape in which we want to deliver the thing. So, you know, it's there's a lot of un, involuntary feedback mechanisms and feedback cycles in the brain that we probably shouldn't have running most of the time. Yeah, and so I agree. Having a couple people that you can stress test the absurdity of some of these beliefs with is very powerful. <laughs> like I'm lucky to have my co-founder Cole where I sit down, I'm like, yeah. oh dude, it's all over. I'm, I'm freaking out about this. He's like, no, that's just not gonna happen. Like, <laughs> uh, And then all you need is a little, All you really only need one person to tell you that that idea yeah. kind of doesn't make any sense and you you wreck you get out of your head you're like oh yeah you're right okay thanks on to the next thing <laughs> yeah yeah you, you do get stuck with this I'm, I'm fortunate to have a, a partner my my girlfriend she's she's amazing with this she just pulls me back out and she has this uh-huh. kind of bird's eye perspective on what i'm doing you know because i'm in the trenches i'm in the mm-hmm. arena <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> but uh, she gets to see like the bigger bigger picture and it's nice to have this conversation so i guess have a great partner either in life or in business to help you out of this is is interesting and that's i guess something new for creators like i i i see this uh, this accountability group thinking that you have like where you mm-hmm. you find people to, who are on the same journey right? and masterminds you have that too right the idea of having people that are your peers that are on the same kind of stage of what you're doing and having consistent exchange with them i feel that's new i don't think i've ever really been part of these kind of groups and now i am Mm. and it's so much better it's so so much better because you recognize how difficult is it for you to find people to have a conversation about the biggest problems you're facing as you scale your podcast from x to y like you can't talk to your high school friends you can't talk to the people that you work out at the gym with you can't like the amount of context to have the conversation that you actually need to have, the number of people are so few that you have to go and intentionally find and set those groups up yourself 
to make sure that you have that feedback of ideas because otherwise you just end up in that spiral where you're playing a solo game for no reason other than you haven't found those people. But once you find them, this game becomes so much more fun because especially the early on, like I wish I had built more of those relationships at the beginning of my journey. And I have, and I'm still close with some of them and I've gotten to grow with a, a handful of people throughout kind of my creator journey. But you you get that double compounding because you're getting better, your relationship is getting better, and the other person is getting better, which means the conversations you can have further and further down the line, you both have more skills. So for anyone's like, yeah, I feel very lonely in this journey, it's you just intentionally figure out how to take the same attitude, positive sum that you bring to Twitter all the time. If you just bring that, you're gonna attract people at the same stage of your journey, and that's what those relationships are really the the main bread and butter of why you should be creating in the first place is because yeah. as those compound, those are the most fulfilling. Yeah, that's and it's all it's also kind of a almost a side effect or a kind of a consequence of doing this in public in front of people, right? Mm-hmm. Not just writing in, in in complete solitude and then publishing every now and then, but being this enigma of a person. I think that used yeah. to be a thing for writers, right? Where you were so untouchable and you were so so mysterious, and and it still is. But I don't think it's in, in the creative space, particularly in the in the an audience driven creative space. This just doesn't work anymore, right? It it really doesn't, and the the evidence is in the people who've had the most success. They are not spending years slaving away over their manuscript, hoping that a publisher picks it up. It's no, I've built a newsletter to 200,000 subscribers. Here's your seven figure book advance because of that. That's the new game that we're playing. And so the more that you can tap into it, you're, you're just at a bigger advantage and it's more fulfilling. You get to engage with your readers the entire time on your journey up rather than hoping that you just drop this masterpiece at the end. Yeah. And, and they also get to tell you if it's good or not, while you create it. Right? Yes. That, that was that was my experience with my second book. I think I had, what was it, like 500 beta readers, which mm-hmm. was qu- quite an interesting group of people to wrangle. But, you know, it, 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 there was a lot of feedback. Let's just say that. Right. But it, it was incredibly powerful because the book that came out of it was a different book that I intended to write. And I'm glad for it because that's the book they needed. Right. It's, it's not, it's not the book I wanted. It's the book they needed, which is yet again, a validation of, of necessity and problem rather yes. than just a solution looking for a problem. Is this zero to bootstrap? Is what's the name of it? Can you remind the, me? The second one I wrote is called the embedded entrepreneur. Right. What was the one before that? Zero to sold. That's my first zero one. to sold. That's right. Yeah. I, I remember. And it's so funny you say this about the beta readers because I remember watching your Twitter as you were writing it where you would post the Ulysses word count. Of like, <laughs> knocked out this many words. Yeah. Here's what I wrote about today. And yeah. the comments were like, oh my goodness, can I read this chapter? And yeah. it, it's, it makes sense that when you publish that book, you had voracious readers ready to knock yeah, it down. Sure. And it was solving the right problem. So yeah. you're the perfect example of what we call lean writing, which is you are validating those ideas as you go, just like the best startups are validating their product as they go. It's really the same thing. You're just the CEO of your writing and that's your product. Yeah, absolutely. That that's one of the biggest things I've learned over the last also like three years, just like you. Kind of started around 2020, 20, late mm-hmm. 2019, like yep. days before the world changed, right? That Me was too. kind of when, yeah. when I started there. So I've noticed the same thing. I've been running software businesses before and they had their own internal dynamics. And now that I run a media business, which is a writer, being a writer is all about kind of, I guess mm-hmm. you are a media person yes. or a media product creator. 
it's the exact same thing. <laughs> it's right. structurally the exact same thing. You have a product, which is whatever it is, right? Might be a writing, might be a software thing. It's both writing. Just one is for machines. The other mm-hmm. one is for people. And the mechanisms with which it grows into a better product is the exact same. Small iterations, close feedback loops with the people that the iteration is supposed to help, right? And the product mm-hmm. in, in general. I, I've seen the exact same thing. SaaS business, media business, structurally exactly the same, which is funny because I wrote Zero to Soul thinking this is is for SaaS businesses only. Uh, right? That's, it kind of says bootstrap SaaS business on the title. But I could cut the SaaS part out and take a couple chapters about tech stacks out there, even though even these articles where I talk about right. choose the tech you know, that translates to writing just the same. Right? Yes. You don't need to install Scrivener or Ulysses or whatever. <laughs> just use Word if you want to write. The words yeah. matter, not the tools. And it's the same for software. Yeah, it's, just to double click on that because there are so many people out there who are paralyzed getting started mm-hmm. writing because they're like, I can't write anything until my Notion dashboard is perfectly <laughs> optimized, ready yeah. for this content flow that yeah. is, is just beautifully optimized. And I hit every... No. My ideas, no. It's... I've been using Apple Notes to write for a long time now because it's the only thing that intentionally doesn't have anything shiny that is going to go pull my attention away from doing the writing itself. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's that. I've I've recently started like writing in audio a little bit. Like I've, I've started mm. just talking because to me writing is thinking and. I, I think that it's just a different word for that, right? A different kind of uh, way of thinking in a in a specific kind of technical term, but. I, I started just dictating stuff into, I use audio pen. I had Luis Pereira on the show and I talked to him about his tool, which is just, you know, it, it records you and then it kind of slightly summarizes it wow. using like open AI. And it's, I use that as my, my baseline outline. And then I, I start like, you know, filling it up. Two things there. First, so Luis Pereira was the very first paying customer of Ship30 that I didn't <laughs> promise their money back to. Oh, wow. So, very, I still remember his name, $99. And it's legendary to see all the cool <laughs> stuff that he's gone on and built. But Lewis will always hold a special place in my heart because right when you said that, I was just brought to so many memories Aww. of seeing that first stripe of 99 bucks when I put it for sale with no money back if yeah. you wrote every day for 30 days. So, so <laughs> funny you mentioned that. Shout out Lewis awesome. if he's listening. But on top of that, yes, I find writing is the best vehicle for thinking because you've experienced this too as you've been writing. Now when people have conversations with you, when they ask you a question, 90 plus percent of the time, I would wager that your head jumps to a topic or a concept yeah. you've already written about. Yeah. And because you've already written about it, you've thought through it clearly and you can articulate it better than yes. other people who just riff off the cuff. That's and so writing is really pre-thinking future conversations you're going to have and you just are figuring it out during the writing process. Oh, I love that. That is such a great way to, to explain it. And, and beyond pre-thinking, which is definitely an amazing part it's also you you have a a tangible asset to give to people right Mm -hmm. here are like weeks worth of thoughts distilled Mm -hmm. into thousands of words on the exact thing that you just asked me about yes enjoy right you link them which is such a such a wonderful thing to be able to do yeah I mean, you don't you don't have to convince me that writing is amazing, but I think the the potential for it to to impact not just money concerns, which are important, but also just the the, the scope of the topics that you have consciously confronted with your mind, and then having this this kind of long tail of like evidence of your thinking out there for people to find. That mm-hmm. is just such a massive investment into your future, and. The key thing to keep in mind here and what keeps a lot of people from writing in the first place is they think they don't have anything valuable to say. 
Mm. And so we have them conduct what we call the two-year test, which is over the last two years, you look back and you reflect on skills you've built, life transitions you've made, hobbies you've started, jobs you've started, jobs you've quit, topics you've learned, rabbit holes you've gone down, et cetera. And picture for a second that your two years ago self got to have a conversation with current you. Think about how valuable they would, they'd sit and talk to you for hours. They'd ask you hundreds of questions of all the things that you've gone on and learned. That's the same thing that writing on the internet is. You are going to take the ideas that have now become painfully obvious to you, but would have been incredibly valuable to your earlier self two years ago, and you're going to write and share those ideas. And the internet, again, guarantees, like we talked about earlier, that there are tons of people at that old stage of the journey that you used to be on who would find it valuable. And that is really the entire game that I've been playing for the last few years is learn a topic, write it about it to my former self, where in that process of writing it, I better understand it. At the same time, I build credibility with people behind me while also learning from people ahead of me. And I've just been continuing that path all the last three years, and I intend to for the next 50 years of my life. Oh, I bet. Uh, well, I, I'm going to be there for those for those 50 <laughs> years if I, if I physically can. But yes, that's, that's, that's super, super stringently put because we, we tend to only look at the people ahead of us, right? That's the kind of mm-hmm. the star appeal that we just, I think we're socialized with. Look at the people yes. who are better than you so you can learn. But the fact that you can actually teach to the people who are behind you on the same journey, that, that seems to be somewhat you know, suppressed in terms of where we get taught about. But I think it's such a central part of why we should write and why we should create. Yeah, you end up better understanding the ideas that you thought you understood well. Like if you think you understand something, try to teach it to someone who's two years behind you. And you quickly realize, ah, maybe I don't. And maybe I'm not as good as I think. And that writing just forces you to level up. Yeah, and, and in a funny way, in, in in doing that, you also get to a level where you can teach the people ahead of you as well. Because the thing that you create gives them a different perspective on, on the thing that they also think they already know. But they, they're learners too, right? I had uh, Aaron Francis on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. And he's into screencasting and, and all that kind of stuff. And he knows there are, there are way better people that do like screencasts and videos. But his style, his unique style is also an inspiration for them, not just for the people who come up behind them. Who want to do things like he does, but also to the people that he learned from and he admires. I think that circle, circular thing that in you mm. teaching, you learn things that you can teach the people who teach you. It's kind of a, a Mobius band of feedback, right? This this infinite thing that just wraps around you and the people that you care about in, in this interesting and multidimensional way. A, a great example of this was in February of 2021. I kind of hit an inflection point when I published a Twitter thread that was probably two months before that of 12 questions that changed my life, 12 journal questions that I reflected on. And that was inspired by Tim Ferriss's article of 18 questions that changed his life. I saw those and was like, wow, a handful of these I'm going to ask myself. So I'm learning from him. And then I was getting a haircut and I get a text message with a screenshot from one of my buddies and it's a, a screenshot of Tim Ferriss's Five Bullet Friday. And the first item that he linked to was my Twitter thread wow. talking about questions that I was reflecting on. And he said, adding a few of these questions to my list, really wow. enjoyed it. And there's the perfect example of someone that I had learned at the time, I'd listened to every Tim, Tim Ferriss episode. So I still remember I was getting my haircut. I'm like halfway through and I see this text and I tell the barber, I'm like, you got to stop. And I'm got like half my head shaved and I walk over and I'm like freaking out because what do I do with all this? I'm getting a yeah. bunch of texts now and it, it's starting to go viral on Twitter. So, oh, nice. so funny and just a great example of, yes, 
You learn from the people ahead of you, teach those behind you, because that's all I was doing was saying, wow, I'm learning from Tim, I'm behind him, but I'm also have a bunch of experience from the last couple of years from these questions. I need to publish those because I feel morally obligated to the people behind me. And then the in the meantime, he got to pick up a few as well. So it is it is so fun when that comes full circle. Yeah, I'm really happy for you. That's that must have been a wonderful experience. But it, it just shows that you, if you're just your authentic self and you're are taking things from other people and adjusting them and and you know making things your own and then sharing that back, which is the big part, right? The big part is not just keeping them to yourself, but actually sharing them back. A lot of interesting things can happen. Especially, just one final point on that, especially in the age of algorithmic timelines, you never know whose For You page you're going to end up on. Which means you right now could publish something that pops up on Jeff Bezos's timeline. Never before in human history has that been possible. So again, if there, you need another reason to actually go and publish your thoughts, there's another one. Digital writing is the great leveler, right? The great like equalizer in many ways. Like if if what you do is good, it doesn't really matter how well you're connected, or mm-hmm. who you know, or you know who follows whom. Like it will get to the weirdest yes. and most interesting opportunity spaces possible. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy for you. I'm, I'm really happy for everybody who's writing. To be honest, and and I'm glad, and that's the thing why I'm so excited to talk to you about all this. That that ship thirty even exists because that to me conceptually. It has unblocked so many people, mm-hmm. thousands and, and uh, hopefully soon tens of thousands at, at the same time. That is an interesting business. And I think it's just a calling that you've fell into or that you found, I guess, which uh, is super cool. Beyond Chip 30, I, I know you're doing a couple more things. And that's also something that I found very interesting looking at you, not just as a writer, but as a, a business person owner right as a as a person running businesses you you've diversified in 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 several different ways and and one of the interesting things that i found is is type share that is Mm. uh, something that i that you also build which is a software business which Mm -hmm. is i I said it earlier it's structurally the same as a media business but it is technically something different what what drove you to build that in particular so type share was born we had been writing uh our atomic essays during ship 30 cohorts like via the Apple Notes app or like screenshotting yeah, I you know, your, your, your word. <laughs> and Sam, the founder, came to us and said, hey, I built this thing that I think your students would love. It would allow them to publish high quality visual atomic essays. We're like, this is, this is great. Absolutely. And so that was in August of 21. So a little over two years ago, we've been building basically the software version of Ship30, which is if our mission within Ship30 is to help a million people start writing on the internet, We can reach a good bit of them, but at the end of the day, the most helpful thing for people will be to set up the publishing and everything that could take someone who's never written about. I use my mom as an example, who's writing, she's been a part of 20 cohorts. And I try to think, how could we have gotten her to write with software two or three years ago? And that's kind of the entire product vision is someone who has some kind of ideas in their head. They open up TypeShare, And it pulls all of those ideas out of them. So it asks them questions, it preps the page for them, it gives them templates, it shows them analytics, it helps them write headlines, it helps them format, it helps them do everything where basically, like you said, they could just speak. Like that's where we're headed, is that the ideas in your head, the amount of friction to go from idea that you have to published asset in the real world, we're trying to minimize that time and minimize all the friction that keeps millions of people from being able to do that. So yeah, TypeShare is... 
founded by Sam, and then Cole and I are co-founders with that as well. Um, and we onboard people during Ship 30 into TypeShare, and they get to use that, and then also people find TypeShare from other uh, areas. But a lot of fun, a lot more difficult mm-hmm. to build a software business, as I'm yeah. sure you know, than a oh, media yeah. business. Like They're similar, but one is a lot harder, and there's a reason why people raise money for these yeah. kinds of things, because you do need a talented team. So we've learned, we're still learning and still growing TypeShare and figuring out what role it wants to, what role we wanted to play in kind of our overall business portfolio. But it's been a lot of fun, a lot of lessons. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, and, and software, unlike people, either it works or it doesn't, right? There's yeah. no in between. That's that's right. a bit one of the big problems there. Man, since you mentioned your mom and her blog, it, it is, I don't know how it feels, and I do want to ask you, how, how does it feel to have your mother blog on your software? Like, <laughs> So it's funny because my mom's story She's been pivotal to the entire Ship 30 journey where back up to April, no, May of 2018. So I'm a senior in college and I'm about to graduate and I receive a phone call from her that she'd been diagnosed with stage four ovarian, ovarian cancer. And that shook me pretty heavily at the time. I ended up going home right after that emergency surgery whole nine yards. And that was right as I was about to go enter the real world to work at BlackRock. I took care of her for two or three months. She was on the path to recovery. And then I went and started working in New York, but it gutted me to be away from her and recognize that I didn't have the freedom if I wanted to, to go spend more time with her. Fast forward a year and a half into 2020, when they sent us to work from home, I got to go live back with her during that time. And she was actually re-diagnosed with a small recurrence while I was her primary caretaker then during 2021. During all of the Ship 30 cohorts, she was writing and that was one of her vehicles through recovery was I could write and share my ideas and talk about stories. She shared tons of information about how to, you know, best care for someone dealing with cancer, how to talk to them, how to have conversations. She's recently started a nonprofit all based on the ideas that she's shared and attention she's generated. So it's so fun to have her back for every cohort. She's kind of like a mini celebrity where we do breakout rooms at the end of every uh, at the end of every live session, and I always get a bunch of messages from people like, "Oh, I got to be in a breakout room with your mom. It was so much fun." And so she loves being a part of it, and it's so cool to see she's writing right now. We did a trip to Greece uh, over the summer, which was kind of a dream trip for her. She'd always wanted to go there, and I had made that promise when she beat cancer for the second time that we'd go to Greece, and so now. During this cohort of Ship 30 that we're currently on, she's writing a bunch of essays recapping our trip. So I get to read those. It's, it's super special and a lot of fun. And I appreciate you asking that because she's been such a pivotal part. She was there from that original tweet. She was supporting me every step of the way. It, it's, it's been great. Well, I, I would like to give her a massive shout out because I've been reading all her blog posts in preparation oh, for this. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> for, first off, it, she loves you from such a deep place. It's, it's mm. really incredible. That is such a, it, you, you can really feel it. I was tear, tearing up a couple of times during mm. during those blog posts and I, I really mean it. It was, it was a, a wonderful and, and it felt like a very private thing but that was still right. public that um I'm, I'm really happy that she shared that and that she shares how proud she is of you and how amazing you are as a son and as a person as a human <laughs> being i mean there's a lot of like, stories in there about you as a kid and all that 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 give if you if i know you from twitter i know your adult 
uh-huh. fully realized self, but through her stories, I also get yeah. the the person and the, the story that There's happened texture, along the you know? yeah and yeah text a lot of texture and and a a lot of heartwarming a lot of a, a lot of <sighs> embrace around it. It's really cool and to to see her and her story and and your as you said pivotal um, part in all this and her pivotal part in your story. I love this. I, I really, I was so happy that I found her blog on your product. Right. It was, just, it was such a, such a perfect storm of, of love and kindness all in one. It was really wonderful. So oh, I, just, I, pre- big, I appreciate that. Right and I know she's going to love listening to this. So shout out mom as you're listening to this. <laughs> Thanks. This is proof that you need to keep writing, right? Yeah. Sometimes she wakes up, she's like, Oh, no one's reading this. I'm like, you have no clue the amount of impact that your writing has yes. every single time. So yes. my cheeks hurt from smiling so much. Thanks oh. for thanks for telling that story. And I know she's she's smiling listening to this. And, and you seem to be a great teacher of writing as well. If she is not also <laughs> a great writer to begin with and taught you all these things, but the way that uh, her blog post in particular, like if she's part of, of Ship Theory, let's, let's just talk about her writing for a second here. Yeah. The, they're re- they're short blog posts, but they're impactful. They're thematically focused. They're they're narratively rich. They 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 the texture is the word. They add mm-hmm. so much to just a, a learning. Like I could turn what she she wrote in in a tiny little two sentence tweet, and it would have none of right. the, the the richness and the feeling that comes from these these stories that she writes. So you must be a great writing teacher if if that is the outcome of Ship Thirty Man. I think I think I was born with it from her and it just took me a few years to to encapsulate it. So it's been fun to have, like I said, with TypeShare, it's like she's the the best TypeShare product critic because I just <laughs> talk about like the, what is it? The Collison installs where the Collison brothers used to sit yeah. over the shoulder and they'd watch people yeah. like click on their software, right? I've been doing that with her in TypeShare. I'm like, all right, team, my mom can't find this button. That means we got to redo this thing because if yeah. she can't find it, that means no one else can either. So it's been fun across the board where she's gives feedback on just about everything for better or worse, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's for, the thing. Oh, that's for better. Exactly. Probably for better. And uh, yes. if it's worse, then it's still better. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it also puts a completely new meaning to the mom test, which uh, I think Rob Fitzpatrick would really like conceptually. Yes. Right. Yes, uh, Exactly. That's wonderful. I'm 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 really happy to hear this, and I I think that's that's now you you are my favorite family business now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I appreciate that. That's awesome. Yes. Ah. <laughs> well, okay. So you you have TypeShare, you have Ship Thirty. Is there anything else that you're currently working on that's that's interesting? We have a couple other that we are dabbling in. So one is our Write with AI paid newsletter. So we have a paid newsletter that we're growing right now that's $20 a month that gives ongoing updated information on how to best turn ChatGPT, Bard, other AI writing assistants into your personal intern. So that is a paid newsletter on Substack that we find that is one type of information that is going to be changing so rapidly that you want to stay on the cutting edge of it, which is why it's a paid subscription newsletter. Why? Because you get two editions every week that's going to show you how to stay on the cutting edge of using AI as a digital writer. So that's been a lot of fun. We have a vision for kind of a suite of paid newsletters where we're getting to the point of our business where we're interested in decentralization, where rather than focus on one product, from one type of person. We want multiple products. So we have software, we have paid newsletters, we have group coaching, we have cohort-based courses, we have digital courses, we have everything to kind of build out this entire ecosystem that as you mature as a business is really the goal. So you're not dependent on one thing where for the first year we sold one thing to one person and got to a million dollars and that was Ship 30. 
And then as you get to different levels, you want to expand who you market to, who you sell to, and how reliant you are on all those people. So that's one with our paid newsletter. And then the one that we've been giving a lot of focus is our premium ghostwriting academy. So this is a group coaching program that helps freelance writers become premium ghostwriters. We teach them everything they need to avoid the freelance writing hamster wheel. And we also help people who are stuck in nine to fives like I was of escape that nine to five job using ghostwriting because of everything. There's no startup costs. You don't need a big audience. You really don't need that much skill. That's a very trainable skill. You don't need thousands of people to say, yes, you need one person to give you $5,000 and then boom, you see an entirely new world. So we're currently building and growing that as well. So it's kind of a portfolio of different writing businesses all through the lens of our goal is to help people start writing online and monetize and build a lifelong sustainable career out of writing on the internet. Wow. That is quite the portfolio. And I'm, I'm really happy to, to see it, honestly, because the, the more I talk to successful creators and entrepreneurs like yourself, the more I see people intentionally starting with something clearly defined and mm -hmm. then growing a portfolio of de-risked and diversified bets in many different ways and different kinds of products mm -hmm. as well. So it's it's really interesting to see you going from the cohort thing, which is a pretty high presence thing, I guess, yeah. into SaaS, which is a low presence but but high, you know, brain melting <laughs> stuff and and high, high frustration. If it high doesn't frustration work, right? is the is the term there. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. wherever you have customer service, that's got to be a problem, yeah. right? Where, where people send you emails, and and then going into like sp special consulting and also you know just teaching teaching people in different ways. That is really really interesting to see that would also be an interesting topic that I would like to to hear your your, your long-term learnings from one day when it turns into like a bigger portfolio of things. Yeah, it's we've been doing that with our Espresso Hour podcast, which is basically Cole and I were sitting down twice a week, Monday and Friday. Monday, we'd set the plan for the week. Friday, we would recap what happened with the business. And one day we're like, why don't we just record this? And yeah. people loved it because we yeah. were just like, no, there's no one that you can get the level of depth and richness of insight from a group of two guys building a portfolio of internet companies. And so we love doing that because again, it goes back to this free upside. Worst case, we were going to record it anyway. Best case, people pay attention. And now we have new product ideas. So we have a massive problem in our business right now, which is we have too many ideas that we want to go and execute, which is a great problem to have that I've reframed of like, I know that we're going to grow forever because we have 50 low-hanging fruit to improve every single product on top of the 50 other product ideas that we eventually have. So it's it's a fun game to get to sit down and play, and I'm sure you feel the same way every day. Yeah, oh, for sure. And it's, it's really nice to see you, like the, the, the podcast in particular, that's so building in public. And it's mm -hmm. literally allowing people to be a fly on the wall behind the scenes. Like yeah. if, if you're not listening to this podcast, what are you doing? <laughs> it's kind of what I'm wondering. So listen to the podcast. Where else do you want people to go and find you and follow you along your amazing journey here? I spend too much time on Twitter and X. That's at Dickie Bush. I write on LinkedIn, write on Instagram. I'm the same there. I'd say it depends on what you're looking to do. If you are looking to start writing on the internet, the best place to go is startwritingonline.com. That's our free seven-day email course with everything you need to get started. If you're already writing and you want to start writing with AI, you can go to startwritingwithai.com and that'll have a free email course that'll help you there. If my story about working on Wall Street and eventually leaving kind of resonated with you, I'd recommend exploring the world of ghostwriting. So you can go to premiumghostwritingblueprint.com and you'll get a bunch of information there. So those are kind of the big three. And then TypeShare if you're interested in, hey, I love writing and I just want a better software platform to go and do it all, you can go there too. So a lot there. 
could be changed. It could all change by the time, you know, this episode goes out because that's just the way this all goes. So uh, I appreciate that. And it's been just a fun journey. And it, I do, I think back to when we met where this is really the first time we I've, we've, we've exchanged and chatted right. and been kind of Twitter friends for a long time, but yeah. it really was like that early 2019, 2020, when I watched yeah. you write uh, the new, the embedded entrepreneur book. And I remember yeah. seeing that. I'm like, he's just doing everything that we talk about. It's awesome. You're validating your ideas. You're bringing the public with you. They're all ravenously ready to read it. So I'm excited. Do you have any other uh, books in the works? Oh yeah, I, I'm writing my third one um, on building a public. And probably unsurprisingly, uh, but right, you know, that's 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 where I'm currently at. And I'm I'm not self-publishing this one this time. This time I'm going a bit bigger, which is also oh, funny. Cool. And, and it introduces me to new issues with the actual feedback cycle because yes. now specialists are involved and they tend not to want people involved too much. So yeah. trying to juggle that, which is going to be yeah. a whole other uh, little challenge for me. But yeah, I'm, I can't stop writing. I mean, I write every week, right? For my yeah. own podcast and stuff, but I do want to get, get a new one out too. Yeah. I'm excited. Like, well, definitely yeah. keep, keep us in, keep us in the loop on how that right. one's going in. Reach out to Cole too. Cause that's one of his favorite topics. He yeah. has such a strong opinion on self-publishing versus going the traditional publishing mm-hmm. route. Like if we, if we eventually write, I think the pinnacle book on building a daily writing habit that we will go published or pub, work with a publisher or work with an eight, like uh, a, a book deal because the goal would be to get it to as many people as possible. That's, but the rest of our books, right. we want to publish in a niche way because we don't want that bureaucracy and specialists to say, Hey, we own your next 10 books. It's like yes. we're publishing one under your name to get as many people as possible. Try to play the New York times bestseller game, but otherwise it's, it's self publish all the way. That, that's a, that's an interesting observation. I feel the same way. Like the first two I wrote were kind of indie hacker niche specific, yeah. but this one has the potential to just help people generally yes. build whatever they want or do whatever uh-huh. they want in front of an audience, right? And, and benefit from those. So I think there's a lot of overlap between what we're doing because effectively we're just teaching people to build their own legacy in different Seriously. ways, right? Um, I'm really happy that you shared all these insights and all the plans with me today. I'm, I'm like, I was already like 99.8 percent <laughs> excited to follow your journey. Now I'm like 157 percent excitement amazing if that's i'm I'm super happy i'm happy to to finally get to talk to you i'm happy to see how all of this fits together i'm glad we talked about your mom because she's awesome and i'm really happy to to see where this is going so thank you so much for being on the show that was a wonderful conversation thanks for all the things you shared arvid thanks so much and again i really appreciate just the warmth and energy and positivity you bring to the timeline this podcast it's awesome so i'm excited to keep listening in and hopefully we do another one in a couple years we look back on this one and go here's all the things we've gone and done since then here's all the books and all the good times we've had so i appreciate you having me well thank you so much awesome boom boom indeed what a guy there's just something about a founder who has a plan a vision for their future I will now briefly thank my sponsor for this episode today, Acquire.com. Imagine this. You're a founder who's built a solid SaaS product. You acquired customers, and all of this is generating really consistent monthly recurring revenue. It's the dream of every SaaS entrepreneur, right? Everybody wants to build this company. The problem is... You're not growing as much as you like for whatever reason. Maybe it's a lack of focus, a lack of skill, a plain lack of interest, and you just feel stuck in your business. What should you do? Well, the story that I would like to hear is that you buckled down and you reignited that fire within and started working on the business, not just in the business. And you did all these things you always wanted to do. You built an audience, you do marketing, sales, and outreach, and six months down the road, you made 
all that money. You've tripled your revenue and you have now a very hyper successful business. Wouldn't that be great? But reality is that unfortunately, it's just not that simple. And the situation that you might be in, well, it looks different for every founder who's facing this crossroad. But too many times, the story here ends up being one of inaction or even stagnation until the business itself becomes less and less valuable over time or at worst, completely worthless. So if you find yourself here already, or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I would consider just another option, a third option, and that's selling your business on acquire.com. Because capitalizing on the value of your time today, that's a pretty smart move that you can also make. And acquire.com is free to list. They've helped hundreds of founders already. Just take a look. Go to try.acquire.com slash Arvid and see for yourself if this is the right option for you and your business at this time. Again, just take a look. Won't hurt. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder today. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-I-V-I-D-K-A-H-L, and you'll find my books and my Twitter course there too. If you want to support me on this show, which I would really appreciate, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It makes a massive difference if you show up there, because then the podcast will show up in other people's feeds. And we talked about this on the show. That's where you want to show up. Any of this will help the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye.